Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me from the Parting Shots Podcast Studio in Schenectady, New York. I'm going to get you ready for Super Bowl 56 between the Cincinnati Bengals and the Los Angeles Rams. The game is 6.30 p.m. Sunday at the home of the Rams, SoFi Stadium in Inglewood, California. I'll have some interviews with members of NBC Sports, which is televising the game. And I'll have members of the Daily Gazette staff making their picks for the game. Let's start our preview of Sunday's big game and the Brian Flores lawsuit against the NFL. Please welcome back to the program the co-host of Freddie and Fitzsimmons on ESPN Radio, our great friend Freddie Cohen. Freddie, welcome back to the podcast, and uh, I know it's February now, but uh, Happy New Year. Happy Blair New Year to you too, my friend Ken. Always good to talk to you, my brother. Always well, well, good to talk to you, my brother, too. And so let's start this uh, Brian Flores lawsuit that really shook the NFL, shook a lot of people, came out of the blue. Uh, does he have a case? It seems like he does because we saw... Now we're up now up to two and maybe three head uh, uh, minority head coaches. But you know, ever since uh, Lovey Smith of the Bears and uh, Tony Dungy of the Colts met in the 2007 Super Bowl, we have seen a, I think a regression of uh, uh, black head coaches in the NFL. Well, one of the things about it, Ken, and there's no way to escape this: owners are always going to believe in any sport, but especially in the National Football League, that they can hire whoever they want, and you can put any kind of Rooney rule in place. And the NFL, the spirit of it, is right, trying to make sure that everybody has a fair and equitable chance to become a head coach in the NFL or a coordinator in the National Football League. But the owners looked at that rule and said, okay, we'll bring in minority candidates. But that doesn't mean that we have to hire them because they know that nobody, whether it's Roger Goodell or the public outcry, is going to tell them what to do. But the fact that Brian Flores decided to put everybody on blast who may have been involved in practices like that or may not have been involved, that was a way of saying, I may lose my job, but I'm going to make sure that from this point on, you are going to give an equal share and an equal chance to those who deserve to have a chance and a fair chance to be a head coach in the National Football League, at least, at least be fairly considered to be a head coach in the National Football League. So that's why I called him the potential Kurt Flood of this whole situation when Kurt Flood of Major League Baseball wanted to have free agency and he risked his career so other guys could have that right to have that freedom of movement. I get the sense that if Brian Flores never coaches as a head coach in the National Football League again, that doesn't mean that his impact is going to be lessened. Yeah, man, I look at it, Eric Bieniemy at the, with the Chiefs still hasn't gotten a head coaching job. He's always mentioned as a top candidate. Byron Lefwich, I mean, he did pull himself out of the Jacksonville uh, uh, job there as a, as a candidate. But still, I mean, these guys have proven themselves as, as coordinators and highly respected. Yet they don't get a chance, and it just it just confounds me. I I don't understand it. I just wonder what NFL owners are afraid of if they have minority candidates that are as equal as other candidates or deserve a fair shake, just like other candidates. For example, Josh McCown was getting a lot of consideration, and people were like, well, wait a minute, you're going to get that guy more consideration who's never been a position coach in the National Football League, but yet Eric Bieniemy is not seriously considered, and he's been an offensive coordinator on one of the most high-powered offenses we've seen in the National Football League in the last 25 years. But got along the lines of Byron Leftwich, what he's been able to do with quarterbacks and coaching Tom Brady. You can say well, Tom Brady doesn't need a lot of coaching, but Tom Brady has always said when he got to, got to Tampa Bay how 
influential. Byron Leftwich was helping him become the quarterback he turned out to be after leaving New England. So it can't just be the old lazy excuse that, well, they're going to hire those who they are more comfortable with. Well, that, that's ridiculous. In this day and age, they always talk about everybody has a fair and equal chance to win in the National Football League unless you want to be a head coach in the National Football League and then owners going to take their old boy cronyism network and hire who they feel they're comfortable with or that somebody's told them that deserves a shot. Even that person has no chance or should not even deserve a shot of being a coordinator, much less a head coach in the National Football League. I mean, just the way, the way Colin Kaepernick was treated by the league, I mean, he still hasn't uh, gotten the job in the NFL. Uh, now, I mean, I, I hate to bring politics into it, but the, you know, with the previous president and the way he acted, the way he called Kaepernick a son of a bitch for kneeling. Uh, yeah. Are we? Do you think the NFL owners feel a little more empowered that they had some uh, that they went if they you know, basically you know didn't hire minority candidates, they'd be fine? Well, that's an interesting question, and here's my answer to that. NFL owners can have always had this kind of power. It doesn't matter who has been in power when it comes to any kind of political position, whether it's a governor, senator, president, et cetera, et cetera. They've always been of that ilk that they have not allowed minority candidates to be considered until someone has shown them that if you give us an opportunity, you can see exactly what's going to happen. But all we're asking is an opportunity, and we'll make the most of it. The old line by James Brown is, I'd rather die on my feet than on my knees, because that means that he's willing to let everybody know that, give me an opportunity, open the door, get it myself. And whatever you want to look at as a Colin Kaepernick situation or minority head coaching candidates in the National Football League, the NFL ownership group has always been a part of this. Go back to Preston Marsh in charge of the Washington Redskins back then, where he was determined not to have anybody of color in his football team. And even when Bobby Mitchell finally broke through that barrier, he made Bobby Mitchell saying, I wish I wasn't Dixie, hooray, hooray, hooray. And he's a noted segregationist when it comes to owning the National Football League team. And that's not to say that NFL owners in this day and age are like that, but plenty of them do not want to be told what to do unless it's something that's going to affect their bottom line. And that's what it comes down to. The only way you're going to get their attention is all of a sudden they realize they could potentially lose money. And they don't want to lose a penny, much less billions and billions of dollars. And that's the only way you're going to get their attention. So even though we may see sort of a, a sort of a seismic change, it doesn't going to change that they're going to hire and fire who they want because they're not going to lose that power structure that has been embedded in the National Football League. And it's been in the National Football League since the league got started back in the 1920s. Would it take like a couple of sponsors, high-powered sponsors, maybe to boycott the NFL and pull their ads to- Maybe uh, change the attitude? Oh, there's no doubt about that because I go back to when the whole Don Imus situation, when he made really ugly and disparaging remarks about the Rutgers women's basketball team. And I remember being on the air that night when that became public, Ken, and the caller called in and said, what is it going to take for Don Imus maybe to lose his job? I said, well, they're not going to fire him when it comes to Infinity Broadcasting because he's been doing this for years, maybe not to this level, but he's always been like that. Now let a couple of high-power sponsors decide to pull their ads from his show. Then we have a whole different conversation. By Monday, Procter & Gamble, other advertisers decided that they were not going to advertise on his show. Then all of a sudden, Infinity Broadcasting decided, oh, well, wait a minute, this has been a problem. No, it's only a problem because potential money was going to be lost from your network. That's the only way you're going to get anybody's attention that has the kind of position stroke when it comes to owning a National Football League team. You also, start, you also start to say, we're not going to advertise with your league or we're not going to advertise during the Super Bowl. Then that's when you get their attention. Until and if that happens, and believe me, the NFL is still the biggest, baddest boy going in professional sports. Nobody is going to do that unless it's something that's going to affect their bottom line. Then they're going to make sure that the NFL's bottom line is going to be affected too. Well, the uh, discrimination lawsuit wasn't the only news coming out of this uh, situation. It's uh, 
Flores' accusation that Dolphins owner Stephen Ross offered Flores $100,000 to lose games uh, in 2019 so that they could get a high draft pick. If that's, is it, if that's proven true, what should happen to Ross and what does that say about the league, especially now that they're embracing all these sports books? You can't have him as a as a as an owner of a National Football League team. To me, it's all along the same lines in terms of compromising the game. And really, when you think about it, almost really putting the game at risk because you're telling your head coach that to get a better draft pick, I'm going to pay you a hundred thousand dollars, and then we're going to get a higher draft pick, and that's going to ensure a better future for our football team. You basically want to pay somebody based on the unknown. When it came to Stephen Ross, the owner of the Miami Dolphins, and Brian Flores being the kind of man of character that he is, decided, you know what? I'm not going to do that to myself, but more importantly, I'm not going to do it to these guys that I'm coaching when it comes to Miami Dolphins football team. If that turns out to be correct, and I saw on Friday that there was somebody around that heard Stephen Ross tell Brian Flores that if he can't get from underneath that, you can't protect him if you're anybody that's an owner uh, in a National Football League when it comes to a National Football League team. I know they want to protect their own because for some godforsaken reason, Ken, they love Dan Snyder. He has had a horrible, toxic culture regarding that Washington football team for the last 15 or 20 years. The NFL does everything they can to stay in bed with him. But you can't do that in this situation when it comes to Stephen Ross because if that turns out to be the case, you got to do everything you can to make sure that a new ownership group is going to take over Miami and he can't be in charge of being affiliated with any football team in the NFL from this point on. Yeah, I mean, that Daniel Snyder thing with the Washington now Commandos. I'm not, I'm not, you know, they had two years to get a good, nice name and they came up with Commandos. That's, uh, <laughs> I don't, I don't know if I like that. Either. You're right. Yeah, Daniel Snyder just, uh, that's a toxic situation. I mean, they, he's basically ruined that franchise. I mean, you go back, go back to the years growing up in Philadelphia and it was, you know, dealing with Joe Gibbs and, uh, the, uh, the Washington Redskins and how good they were in the Hogs, and to see what that franchise has become under Daniel Snyder, it's just, it's just, it's sad. I don't know. Sad is the word. <laughs> I think we have to go beyond sad yeah. when it comes to Dan Snyder owning the Washington football team. And you made point of when Joe Gibbs is in charge of the team, class and professionalism and accountability were always a part of that. But you can't really say that with a lot of National Football League owners because. When you're rich and you've always had the power of church and state, you believe that you're going to be infallible and that nobody can touch you. And that's always been part of that power structure. Power structure, excuse me, when it comes to a lot of owners in the National Football League, when you think about a lot of owners in professional sports, their problems aren't the same as everybody else's problems. And everybody else's problems, they could care less about that if it's not affecting them and affecting how they're going to go about their business and making a lot of money for their business. So I don't know if the word sad is applicable here when it comes to Dan Snyder. We may have to come with a different word because whatever word we want to use with him, it's a lot worse than sad. It's a lot worse than sad and disturbing when it comes to him. Disgusting? That- disgusting definitely works. And especially when it seems that time and time again, something seems to creep up, if not every two years when it comes to him, Ken, but it seems like every four or five years that somebody's saying about how he was able to have people underneath him that operated that football team this way. But yet time and time again, when the NFL can hold this feet to the carpet, they stand by, they do nothing, and they carry on with business as usual. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the game one Sunday at uh, in Inglewood at SoFi Stadium. The Rams will be home for the Super Bowl. Uh, who would have even predicted this matchup at the beginning of the year? Nobody predicted this matchup, mainly because we're talking about the Cincinnati Bengals team that two years ago only won two games in 16 games in the regular season. They won more games in a month during this playoff run than they won in 16 games of regular season back two years ago. 
we knew that Joe Burrow, at least I knew that Joe Burrow was going to be a terrific quarterback, but I did not anticipate he would be able to raise his level and everybody else's level around him where they could go on the road and be the number one seed in Tennessee. Then it could come back twice against Kansas City from 18 points down once in the regular season and then in the postseason. The Rams, a lot of people thought they were going to be a contender in the NFC, but they wondered bringing in Matthew Stafford with finally having a football team, which he felt that I can go into any game and believe that we're going to win this game, not to play uphill. How he handled that, and even when they struggled a little bit towards the end of the season, especially Matthew Stafford, people still had a lot of concerns about that. But then he got on a great run. Odell Beckham Jr. steps up his game. That defense played really, really well. But it's part, it's part and parcel, Ken, when it comes to the National Football League. When you don't have great teams, like we saw Green Bay in the 60s or the Steelers in the 70s or the 49ers in the 80s or the Cowboys in the 90s or the Pages in the 2000s, everybody believes they have a fair and equitable chance to not only get into the playoffs but have a great run in the playoffs. That's why we saw Cincinnati was able to do. While we almost saw San Francisco do what they were able to do, where they had a 17-17-17-7 lead on the Rams, and then the Rams win that game in the fourth quarter. That's what makes the NFL so great, that you look at a team one day and you're thinking they're not going to do anything the rest of the season. Then you look up and Cincinnati's in the Super Bowl playing the Los Angeles Rams. Yeah. Well, let's talk about the Rams first. I mean, I, I compare this team to the 1970s uh, Washington Redskins teams that were coached by George Allen, basically trading draft picks to get veteran players in a win-now situation, uh, the future-be-damned approach. Uh, sort of like the second uh, coming of the Over the Hill gang. What are your thoughts about that? The difference is, is that this team – even though they got a couple of quote-unquote over-the-hill players when it comes to Matthew Stafford and also Von Miller, they're still quality guys. But look at the other young guys being able to step up. You get Cam Akers back when they thought he was going to be lost for the season, and so did I with that Achilles injury, and he's been terrific at the running back position. Odell Beckham Jr. is now 30 years of age, and when he plays like that, you see what he's able to do. Look what Cooper Cup has become an elite wide receiver. That offensive line has been underrated, being a terrific run-blocking scheme kind of team. So they don't just have total over-the-hill players at all positions like happened back then that watched the football team in the 70s. They still got a lot of young cats that have not, have, have not even scratched the surface of how terrific that they're going to be. So I think that's the major difference. And if you look at Matthew Stafford, on his worst day, he's better than Billy Kimmer could have ever been on his best day in terms of talent. There's no doubt about that. And when Matthew Stafford plays like that, they can almost be unbeatable. And as good as that Washington team was, they had not one player on that team that was anywhere near Aaron Donald, who pound for pound is the best football player in the National Football League. So that's where the difference lies, is that they still have a lot of young talent on this football team that is going to be around for a minute. But that Washington football team, you always felt they were playing on borrowed time at that standpoint, and they were able to get to the playoffs and get to a Super Bowl. But you knew once it was going to come crashing down, it was really going to come crashing down, and they would have to start off from scratch all over again. You can't say that about the Rams, that even if they don't win, there's still more than enough talent with more years left in their tank where they can do some things for the next two to three years. And, of course, with free agency now, which wasn't prevalent back in the 1970s, it's easy to move people around so and get, get younger that way. But uh, you mentioned Joe Burrow, the Bengals. Talk about his – he has swag. I mean, he, he has personality. Uh, how important is that for this team, that this organization that for years has been known as the Bungles? Yeah, that's a great point, Ken, and here's why that swag's important, because Joe Burrow can play. The Bengals had plenty of guys that had swag that couldn't play dead back then in all those years where you thought they were going to do something. But Joe Burrow has had success. We've seen this success before. We won a Heisman Trophy and won a national championship with LSU. And before he tore his ACL last year, that Bengals team looked clearly, clearly different. And a lot of that had nothing to do with what the football players were doing on the football field. When you have
have a leader like that, and he is unquestionably the leader of the Cincinnati Bengals, you feel that no matter what, that he's going to have your back. The defense can go out there and say, even if we go 24 points, that guy over there is going to get 27 to 31 points. He has the same kind of effect in Cincinnati that we see from Patrick Mahomes in Kansas City, where they play fast and loose and free, and when he stumbles, people are surprised because they're normally used to seeing him making plays either with the offense or in spite of the defense. That's what Joe Burrow brings to the table. The defense knows that even if we make a mistake, that guy's going to have our back. The offensive line knows that, man, we couldn't protect this guy all game long against Tennessee. We allowed him to get sacked nine times and hit 15 other times, but he kept rising like a phoenix from the ashes, rising up, making play after play after play. When you have that kind of dude, guys don't want to let him down. And when you have that kind of attitude and you have that kind of culture in your football team, you can do a lot of special things no matter what's going on either in your division or who you're playing against game by game. I mean, did you mention that the torn ACL last year usually takes at least a year, maybe a little more to come back from that. I mean, I'll use Carson Wentz as, a, as an example. You know, he had a great 2017 with the Eagles until he got hurt. I think he rushed himself back and has never been the same since. Joe Burrow doesn't hasn't missed a beat. I mean, he seems everything's fine and uh, no ill effects of that. So is that kind of surprising? It's not surprising because of two words, modern medicine. I mean, for example, look at Cam Akers. Akers had a torn and ruptured Achilles tendon. Normally, you're out for 18 months, especially in the National Football League. Six months later, he's playing in a playoff game and playing extremely well. The modern the modern medicine, and also athletes are, are better built than ever before. Their bodies are more in tune when it comes to nutrition, when it comes to exercises, when it comes to weights. The body is still going to suffer any kind of trauma. That's what happens in the National Football League. But because the bodies are so regulated to stand up to those kind of rigors on a day-by-day basis it's a lot easier for athletes to recover from what used to be season and career ending injuries when it came to joe burrow for example when it came to kevin durant look at him with the brooklyn nets he's better now than when he was before the, the achilles rush he had in the playoffs so that's saying something where he's now the best player in the world if he had another injury that happened to him because of modern medicine and the modern athlete there's more of a likelihood that they're able to recover and get close to where they were before, especially if they suffer these injuries when they're in their 20s and early 30s. Now, if this happened to Joe Burrow, he's 38, 39 years of age, then his career is over. But the fact he's not even 25, 26 years of age, he's a lot more conducive because of his body and the way that the modern athlete is in the 21st century to rebound and be close to where he was, even better when he was when he suffered that torn ACL last year. What would it mean, do you think, for not only Bengals but the city of Cincinnati – to have a Super Bowl champion. They've been the Super Bowl twice, uh, both against San Francisco in uh, the 80s, uh, lost both those games. But what would it mean, do you think, for the city of Cincinnati and the Bengals to finally get over that hump? You would not be able to measure with existing technology what that would mean to Cincinnati and also in the National Football League. It would be the same thing if the Cleveland Indians finally broke through and won the World Series because we talked about what happened with the Chicago Cubs and they beat the Indians. And we saw exactly what that did for that city with that different organization. To me, it would be the NFL's version of that happening to the Cincinnati Bengals because they've never won one. They've never had a chance other than in the last 30 years to even be in contention, to be a Super Bowl contender, even be thought about that way. And the fact that they had this kind of run to get there, it's not just surprising. It's almost completely, completely out of this world, especially when we mentioned two years ago, they were a two-win team in the regular season. And coming into this season, people wondered if their court, if their quarterback, they knew he was going to play well, but would that be enough to save his coach's job? Now, no one's having that kind of conversation right now. 
involving the Cincinnati Bengals. That's the kind of effect it will have not just on the city, but also the National Football League because we've seen it. When you have a guy with that kind of magnetism, that kind of talent, Joe Burrow, you start to see his jerseys everywhere all around the country. It could have the same effect that we saw with Steph Curry with Golden State where they play on the West Coast. But anytime he played in opposing arenas, you saw a lot of Steph Curry jerseys with younger people. If Cincinnati's able to do that, you can see that same kind of effect that when Cincinnati goes on the road, you'll see a lot of Joe Burrow jerseys from younger fans who love him and want to be about him and become Bengals fans because of what they were able to do. I mean, the Rams have moved back from St. Louis uh, for their second uh, tour of duty in Los Angeles. Do you get the sense that the, the city is embracing? You, you look at the, the, the last game of the regular season that was played there against the 49ers. I think half to three-quarters of that uh, building had 49ers fans in the NFC Championship game, I think, was 50-50. It, it sounded like there were a lot, as many 49ers fans as Rams fans. Do you, I mean, is there a, you think a sense that a pride in L.A. at the Rams, or is they still like, eh, you've got a football team, it's nice? They're still at, and we have a football team that's nice because that's still a Lakers town. That's still a Dodgers town. And when it comes to football, that's more of a USC football town than the Los Angeles Rams because they know this organization has left once before and no chance they're leaving now. You build the kind of stadium they have and so far stadium, that team's not going anywhere. But I wonder how much the fan base says, do we really want to trust the owner? And what if they don't win? We don't want to get our hearts broken again. They get more enthused and excited about what's going on with the Lakers, what's going on with the Dodgers, what's going on with the USC football team. But if the Rams are able to win a Super Bowl and the way that they play, they have a very eye candy kind of style and they have personalities on that football team when it comes to Aaron Donald and Odell Beckham Jr. And in his own little way, Cooper Cup has great personality. If you're able to win a Super Bowl championship in that town, all of a sudden the sky's the limit. Because think about it, Ken, that organization never won a world championship in Los Angeles. The world championship that they won were in St. Louis, and they got to the Super Bowl. The last time the Rams were in the Super Bowl in Los Angeles, when Vince Ferragamo was the quarterback mm-hmm. of that team, and they lost to the Pittsburgh Steelers in the Rose Bowl. They've never been able to win a Super Bowl as an organization in that city. So how ironic would it be that after all those years of being kind of a star-crossed team, if they're able to win a Super Bowl championship and win it in Los Angeles on their home field, that could go a long way where all of a sudden you start to see maybe Rams fans having a lot more be more willing to embrace their football team, even though it's still going to be a Dodgers, Lakers, and USC football town. The Bengals win the Super Bowl how? The Bengals win the Super Bowl by Joe Burrow, not only throwing for over 300 yards, but they got to get at least 115 yards running the football. And that's where Joe Mixon really comes in because he was able to help them put that game away against Kansas City when they were able to run the ball in overtime at the beginning of the interception and putting them in position for Evan McPherson to kick that game-winning field goal. That's how they're going to have to win. It just can't be on Joe Burrow. They have a guy, Joe Mixon, who can run the football, a guy that had over 1,100 yards rushing in the regular season. We know that defense is going to give up plays, but it's when you give up those plays. If you're able to have the Rams try to nickel and dime down their way to the field and make sure they don't hit a big play on you, and you make sure they say they have to settle for field goals, then you can do some things. But if you're going to do that, Joe Burrow has to throw for over 300 yards, and Joe Mixon has to have at least 110 yards rushing for the Bengals to win this game. And how about the Rams? The Rams just have to beat the Rams, and here's what I mean by that. They've been able to dictate, even when they were down 17-7, to they dictated their play in the fourth quarter. They did that by throwing the football around and making plays their offense, and then the defense able to stymie the running game of San Francisco and force Jimmy Garoppolo into a lot of second and third longs. If they're able to do that, Ken, against Cincinnati, then Joe Burrow will not be able to stand up and make plays. That secondary is far better than what he went up against against Tennessee when you got guys like Jalen Ramsey back there and the Benjamin Button known as Eric Weddle playing in the secondary at safety. They got guys that can make plays and also that can help out your front line 
line and vice versa. So that's how the Rams win it. They're going to score some points. I don't have any doubt about that. But what kind of defense can they do to get pressure on Joe Mixon, Joe, stop Joe Mixon running the football and put Joe Burrow in a lot of second and third longs? If they're able to dictate that and really dictate the pace of the game and the flow of the game, then that's going to be a great thing for that Rams football team winning their first world championship as a member of the Los Angeles Rams. Who are you going with? My my gut says the Rams right now. I could change my mind by Friday, but my gut still, my gut still says the Rams. Joe Burrow's not going to make it easy. There's no doubt about that. But man for man, they have more talent than also the Cincinnati Bengals. And I wonder how much of playing, the way they were able to win against the San Francisco 49ers, the way they were able to win against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, how much of that is really going to help them? Because you win those two bloodbaths where you almost gave the game away against Tampa Bay when you're up by 27-3. to You almost give it back, but you found a way to win that game. Then you're down 17-7 to at home in the fourth quarter against a 49ers team that had beaten you twice in the regular season. You found a way to win that football game. I wonder how much of that psyche that was added to them is going to play big in this game because you can deal with that. A guy like Joe Burrow Cincinnati is not going to freak you out if you are the Los Angeles Rams. Well, Freddie, appreciate a few minutes. Of course, uh, you can listen to Freddie Coleman along with uh, Ian Fitzsimmons uh, weeknights 9 to 1 on uh, ESPN Radio and uh, social media again. Freddie, where can people find you? At Coleman ESPN on Twitter. All right. Freddie, appreciate a few minutes as always, my brother, and uh, we'll talk soon. Sounds good, Ken. Take care. Be well, my man. Yeah, you too. That's Freddie Coleman coming up. I'll have some interviews with the NBC Sports crew as it prepares to televise the game. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. What's your favorite high school sports memory? A late-inning rally? A game-winning shot? A photo finish? Maybe it's a pep rally or a pregame ritual. Maybe it's the euphoria of a late-night bus ride home after a hard-fought win. Maybe it's having pizza with teammates after the game. Now, imagine if it never happened at all. School sports need your help. With budgets getting tighter, it's more than the games that are on the line. It's all the traditions, the community pride, the culture of your hometown high school, plus all those memories that are on the line, too. What can you do? It's simple. Buy a ticket when you can. Go to a game. Take the whole family. Let's do everything we can to keep those cherished school sports memories alive. This message presented by the New York State Public High School Athletic Association and the New York State Athletic Administrators Association. Hi, I'm George Manius, president of the Albany Firewolves of the National Lacrosse League. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Welcome back to the podcast. NBC Sports is televising Super Bowl 56 on Sunday. On Monday, the network conducted a conference call to talk about the game. There were plenty of questions about it, as well as off the field. Let's start with a question that was asked of analyst and former Bengals wide receiver Chris Collinsworth. He played in two Super Bowls with the Bengals. He was asked about seeing his former team in the game. Neil, I'll say I've been kind of holed up. getting ready for this game. It's, uh, I don't leave the basement very often. Uh, but I did go to the Bengals practice and um, it was tremendous. Uh, Mike Brown is a guy that in many ways I feel like gets the short end of the stick sometimes because he's not, you know, he's not Jerry Jones. He's not a big PR guy. He's not out front and center all the time. Uh, but I, I went away to go play in the USFL or sign a contract, never actually played, and 
when the, the league uh, wasn't wasn't ready or was nearing an end, I went back to the Bengals. He welcomed me with open arms in 1988. Uh, I, I was sort of at the end of my career. Started law school. He let me miss morning meetings to go to law school classes uh, and could not have been more warm and and uh, gracious when I walked into that practice the other day. So I, I really, I, I appreciate him. I always have. Uh, I'm happy for them. Uh, but the bizarre part about this game is that we probably, or I probably, had more relationships uh, with the Rams than I did the Bengals. I mean, I had never met the offensive or defensive coordinator before. I'd only met Zach Taylor a couple of times before. We hadn't done one of their games, you know, so it was it was a weird week for me that I had to do almost my preparation with Bengal uh, because so much more about the Rams. Collinsworth and play-by-play announcer Al Michaels were asked what a Super Bowl win would mean to the city of Cincinnati. I'll go first, Mac. I it's a great sports town. I don't, I don't have to tell you when I, you know, was 26 years old. I go in to do the Cincinnati Reds. It's the original major league team. I mean, it, uh, Cincinnati is is baseball. And then when the Bengals came in in 1968 as an expansion team, had a lot of early success. And when I was there, I got, I got to go to a number of, uh, of Bengals games, and uh, the town was very excited. Uh, with with football, with professional football, the fact that they went to two Super Bowls in the '80s was tremendous. Uh, and then you know through the years it's been it's been rough, even though they've made a lot of playoff appearances. And uh, finally they get over the hump. But uh, having spent three years there, I love every moment of it. A fantastic sports town. But here's a man who can answer that best of all. Um, well, I don't live in Los Angeles, but I do know that this is a big story in Los Angeles as well. Uh, but in a few weeks or months or whatever, you're going to have the Academy Awards and you're going to have the Grammy Awards and you're going to have, there's always the Lakers, the Dodgers, and there's always something, right? There's always the next story. In Cincinnati, you can't imagine like right here, right now, the town is lit up and all orange imaginable. Uh, you, you turn on the nightly news, and it's, it's the it's the only story in some ways that uh, that is happening in this town. And I think for a midwestern city, uh, when they get this kind of opportunity, when they get uh, the chance to go on the world stage in many ways for the first time in, in over thirty years, that uh, it's just there's a buzz and an excitement and and a coming together for a city that can only happen when these sort of moments come along. So as happy as I am for the Cincinnati Bengals and their organization, I feel like I'm even happier for the town of Cincinnati because it really has got place. Off the field, this will be the last game on NBC for at least one of the announcers. Sideline reporter Michelle Tafoya is hanging up her microphone after her 327th NFL broadcast. More on her in just a moment. The intrigue is the future of Michaels. His contract is up after the game. He has been rumored to be heading to Amazon Prime Video for its Thursday night package. And there have also been reports he could join ESPN's Monday Night Football. The Athletics' Richard Deitch asked Michaels about his future. Well, Richard, the, the, the truth of the matter is, I mean, I reflect all 
the time and I have through the years and I've had a fantastic, you know, relationship with Fred, with Drew and Michelle, uh, obviously with, with Chris and before that with, with John Madden. There's a lot to reflect on, but the one thing I have done this year, Richard, with my contract ending at the end of the Super Bowl, and I know there are other opportunities and options out there for me, but I did not want to be for one moment distracted. I know there, there are chances to continue. I'll assess that when this is over. But I vow to myself to just uh, enjoy every moment of this year, and I have. been a terrific year. We've had some fabulous games. It all ends with the Super Bowl, which is the, the perfect way for a season to end. And I always felt that the minute you start thinking about other things, it takes you away from, from this. And, you know, I really wanted to enjoy this to the ultimate this season, and I have. I don't know what the future uh, will hold, uh, but... After this game is over, I've got some very close friends and, and, and guys who really understand the business inside out, and we'll talk about what's out there, what I might want to do, but I do know one thing, Richard, I, I love what I do, feel great, and uh, I'm not ready for any rocking chair or golf. I get to play enough golf, believe me. <laughs> As for Tafoya, she joined NBC in 2011. She is a four-time winner for the Sports Emmy for Outstanding Sports Personality Sports Reporter. She was emotional talking about her final game. I don't really like to make the story. <laughs> I don't want to be part of the story necessarily. Uh, but I do appreciate, I think, more than ever, um, you know, this opportunity to do a fifth Super Bowl, to do it with this crew. I've worked a lot with this crew, and they are a family of mine. And um, that's the hard part for me, is knowing that, you know, the family is going to get a little shake-up here. That when people ask me what I'm going to miss, it's, it's, it's that. It's my family, this second family of mine. While I'm overjoyed to have the opportunity to spend more time with my own immediate family, um, and I, I'm so, so excited about that. I will miss these people. Um, oh, shoot. I don't want to get emotional here. Um, I think that's the biggest part. And talking to players every week, I've been talking to guys this week that I've done for so long, and uh, sharing stories and just talking about how that's going to be the hard part. Um, but... I think I agree with, I think it was Andrew Whitworth I was talking to. It might have been Eric Weddle. We were all talking about how you get to a certain point and, you know, there's, you've chased what you wanted to chase in a particular arena in your life, and there are other things you want to chase. And that's where, how I feel. And uh, I feel strongly about that. But um, it's going to be hard walking out of there leaving these folks, I thank God for Zoom and phones and all the accessible ways we have to access each other that I will be using because I can't say it enough. I, I love this group. I love these guys. And you know, that's going to be the hard part. Coming up, I'll have the Daily Gazette staff members to make their Super Bowl picks. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. All of us love sports. But not all sports are created equal. College sports have big budgets, dedicated alumni networks, and corporate sponsorships. 
professional sports have even deeper pockets. Millionaire owners, lucrative TV and radio deals, and merchandise sales. High school sports have you. Everyone agrees high school sports give us plenty of reasons to cheer. And now's a great time for us to give back. Supporting your hometown high school won't cost you much, but it will go a long way to ensuring the games we love the most are here to stay. New York High School Sports. They're good for our kids, good for our community, and best of all, they're good for you. This message presented by the New York State Public High School Athletic Association and the New York State Athletic Administrators Association. This is you all being men's basketball coach Dwayne Killings. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Kim Shot. Welcome back to the podcast. Who is going to win Super Bowl 56? Members of the Daily Gazette staff give their predictions. Stan Hooney in the Daily Gazette Sports Department. I got to tell you, I'm taking Cincy. 28-23 over the Rams. It's probably not a popular pick by a couple different reasons. I really like Joe Burrow at quarterback. He's got nothing to lose, uh, even as a number one pick overall. For the Rams, Matthew Stafford was bought in to deliver. Not brought in. He was bought in to deliver. So I think there's a lot of pressure on Stafford over Burrow. He's got nothing to lose. He's playing with house money. I like uh, two running backs for Cincinnati, Akers and Michael. Two options in the backfield. Cincinnati, three different receivers, Chase, Boyd, Higgins. Higgins, that's a threesome uh, Burrow can pick. And then I know since he's kind of, you know, over in the Super Bowl, the Rams won at 99. But here's, here's why I'm taking Cincinnati. 1978 movie with Warren Beatty, Heaven Can Wait. In the movie version, the Rams won the Super Bowl. But I'm saying the Rams are going to wait. Cincinnati 28, Rams 23. This is Daily Gazette sports reporter Adam Schinder. I'm going with the Cincinnati Bengals to win Super Bowl 56, 31-28. I think the Bengals' explosive offense matches up to the Rams' defense. And once again, is kicker Evan McPherson who wins it for the Bengals. Hi, I'm Michael Kelly, sports editor at the Daily Gazette. Uh, I think the Rams get it done this weekend. I think the uh, their star-studded lineup. Uh, too much talent for uh, a Bengals team that's been a lot of fun to watch these last few weeks. But, uh, you know, I think uh, I think come Sunday, Rams 31, Bengals 21. Hi, Mike McAdam from the Sports Department. My pick is the Los Angeles Rams 26 and the Cincinnati Bengals 17. Um, I'm going to be rooting for the Bengals. I think it's a great story. I love Joe Burrow. Um, but I think the uh, the Rams defensive is going defensive line is going to get after him and perhaps Von Miller as well, and uh, so I think they're going to make life miserable for him and, and uh, the the pressure that he's felt is going to catch up to him eventually. And Matthew Stafford and Cooper Cup and company just need to score probably three touchdowns and throw a field goal or two in there, and that that ought to be enough to win. So Rams 26, Bengals 17. My name is Paul Grislak. I'm a copy editor for the Daily Gazette. My pick would be the Bengals, uh, and I think the score is going to be Bengals uh, 48 to 8. This is Miles Reed, editor of the Gazette, and my pick for this year's Super Bowl uh, game this year is going to be a surprise win by the Cincinnati Bengals. I think Joe Burrow is going to come through in a big way 
He seems to have met every challenge that's been put before him and he loves to be an underdog. So I'm going to pick the Bengals 27-17 over the Rams. As for my pick, I'm going to be rooting hard for the Bengals. I'm thinking of my friends that I worked with at the York Daily Record, uh, Dave Williams, Bill Rabinowitz, and uh, Tracy Collins, big Bengals fans. They've been waiting for this moment and I can feel their anxiety because you know the Eagles won Super Bowl 52 it took a, a lot of uh, weight off uh, the shoulders of Eagles fans and uh, my son and who was a big Eagles fan and uh, you know I, I can understand what it's been like waiting for uh, a Super Bowl championship unfortunately my, my heart's with the Bengals I'm picking the Rams to win the close game 34-31 so please Dave Bill and Tracy forgive me if you like to play in the final Daily Gazette You Pick'em contest uh, for the season, uh, go to dailygazette.com and click on the You Pick'em logo. The NASCAR season is upon us, and uh, you can play the Daily Gazette's auto racing contest. Pick the top five finishers in each race and have a chance to win a $50 ShopRite gift card. To play, go to dailygazette.com slash autoracing. Keep checking out dailygazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this pandemic. We appreciate the job you're doing in this difficult time. If you have not gotten vaccinated, please do so. Do it for yourself, do it for your family, and do it for your friends. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I'd like to thank Freddie Coleman, Al Michaels, Chris Collinsworth, Fred Goodelli, and Michelle Tafoya for being a part of the show, and as well as the Daily Gazette staffers for making their picks for Super Bowl 56. I'll have another podcast Thursday focusing on college hockey. I'll preview the Union men's games against Colgate and Cornell. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of Gazette newspapers. I'm Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports.